Hello, thanks very much for joining me for episode number 55 of Love That Album Podcast. Pleased to have your company. Uh, now, Wendy Freeman had joined me on the recording of this episode to discuss Cheap Tricks in Colour. She also joined me to discuss Ice Cream Hands' album Sweeter Than The Radio. We had a wonderful time. Now, what I'd like to do is I edit these episodes later to include some music, and in editing the Ice Cream Hands segment, I basically went and made some slip-ups and have rendered the file, well, unusable, with music so loud that you can't hear our discussion, which you never know, you might actually consider a good thing, but it really doesn't sort of bear much use in placing in the context of this podcast. So, yeah, basically we've been cursed by the John Hyatt curse. Check out episode two to find out what that actually means. Anyway, it's unusual because no one actually even mentioned John Hyatt during the recording of this podcast. So... Anyway, what we've left with is Wendy and my discussion about Cheap Trick and my good friend Eric Reanimator doing his album I Love segment. So we have enough there to make the show an enjoyable one. And it goes only for a little bit over an hour, so hey, you might actually find that more appealing than my guest and I rambling on for two hours. So there you go. There's got to be a bonus for everything. I should also take this opportunity to point out that I had recorded an interview with Charles Jenkins, the lead singer and main songwriter of the Ice Cream Hands, as a bonus episode for um, Love That Album 55. So even though you don't have... Wendy and my scintillating conversation in reviewing the album, but uh, I do get to talk to Charles Jenkins of the Ice Cream Hands, and you can download that through iTunes or through the lovethatalbum.blogspot.com website. However it is that you downloaded what you're listening to now, you can also go back and look up that bonus episode. If you've never heard of the Ice Cream Hands, uh, but you like Power Pop, then I wholeheartedly recommend it to you. If you are an Ice Cream Hands fan, then I also recommend it to you because, well, it's a chance to listen to Chuck talk about those days of the Ice Cream Hands. We started off talking about Sweeter Than The Radio, but went into all aspects of their career and his songwriting and a little bit about the Zhivagos. So hopefully you'll find that enjoyable. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of Love That Album 55. Nobody worries about kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? There, Morris speaking. You're listening to Love That Album podcast episode 55. Of course, you know that because it says so on your little iPod thingy. Um, so I'm going and stating the obvious, really, but I'm quite good at that. Uh, welcome. This is, I think, this is probably going to be the second last episode of the year. We're, we're already in December as we're recording this. And I'm very, very excited because I have another newbie to the Love That Album partnership. The Love That Album co-presenter family, but it's someone who I've wanted to talk with for quite a while. And I'm speaking to basically a real renaissance woman. She's she's a fellow drummer. She's uh, She hosts her own two podcasts. One, yeah. on, one on trashy films and one on uh, the comic world. Uh, she bakes, she drums, she knows everything about comics. Uh, it, pro into education about comics. The one, the only, Ms. Wendy Freeman. Welcome to Love That Album, Wendy. <laughs> Thank you. That's the greatest, uh, that was the greatest introduction ever. Oh, I don't <laughs> think so. I forgot, I forgot to say, and, and power pop, passionate expert. I don't know. Have, yes. Yeah, that doesn't very sound. passionate. Very passionate power pop uh, pro. I'm trying to think of another word with a P so we can keep it alliterative. Um, uh, <laughs> professional. Yeah, pa- proficient. Pa- pa- power pop pounding professional. <laughs> yes, and I mean yes. pounding is in pounding the skins. So that's actually <laughs> how we sort of got to um, work each other out on on Facebook. I don't remember where it was, but I went and put something about being a singing drummer, and and you said, yes. I'm also a singing drummer. And then we discovered we're 
passionate about power pop and it was just it was just meant to be this podcast was, was meant to be based on that conversation alone it was kismet with it howard keel <laughs> it was wonderful yes yeah and now you're a big part of my life i thank you and, and you and, and i you. love love that album oh thank you you're being you're being too kind and and without wanting to sound like i'm pissing in your pocket i've been really enjoying listening to uh you know the trashy trio which you're not <laughs> recording enough of i think we're still only six episodes after how many weeks oh and... i know well we we just did yeah we just did another one that we're editing right now and then i just yeah i've got to watch a movie this week too so right. <laughs> i got so many movies that i feel i have to watch and but now I know. Now I know. I do not care to watch corruption if it's not sleazy enough for the tragic trio. I, you know what? After listening to your uh, talk about White Rose Campus, and then everyone gets <laughs> raped, corruption really doesn't seem to fit the bill. It, it doesn't seem sleazy enough. You know, how, how does it feel? How does it feel to be, you know, co-host of a podcast that makes silver and gold almost look like a Disney podcast? <laughs> Well, you know, to be honest, it's so funny being, like, the girl on that podcast, because sometimes I feel like, should I not be joking about rape? You know? <laughs> no, no, I mean, I realize that rape is, like, a horrible thing, but it's just, like, in all of these movies, it's just treated as such a bizarre, casual thing, you know? Like, like oh, that's just what happens to women, you know? <laughs> So, so folks out there, if you want, if you want to see um, that sort of thing from, or hear about that sort of thing from a very different perspective, the Trashy Trio, Episode Six, White Rose Campus. It's, we watch it, so you don't have to. Is that your? That, you should make that your motto if you haven't already. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. We watch these things so you don't have to. And and double page spread. Your your comic podcast. Yes, which is very, very G-rated in comparison. Yes. Oh, very much. <laughs> Very much. Although the the first album, the oh, first album, the first podcast that I listened to you uh, with um, was it Steve Bissett? Yes, Steve Bissett. Uh, uh, he he was so gentlemanly all the way through, and he said, "Oh, oh, hang on, am I allowed to use language?" And you said, "Oh, no, no, no you, you you fucking can't do that on this podcast. We don't we don't <laughs> do that." All. He was so, so gentlemanly. It, it's so funny because and I'm sure you have this too, where like uh, people don't realize that podcasting is like the Wild West. Like the FCC is not hanging over our heads, you right, know. You right. can say whatever you want, go right ahead, you know. Uh, but I'm, but I'm I love looking the, I to the love, day when that changes. Yeah, I love interviewing comic book people because I mean it's a world that I am not, you know, I'm not an artist, uh, I'm a musician. But but it's very very interesting to hear them going through the same things that like bands go through or that musicians go through. You know, like they're always hustling for these gigs. They're always like having to go all over the world to do these conventions. And you know, it's very very interesting to hear uh, freelance artists talking about things that that the rest of us, you know, the musicians go through too. So I relate to it completely. Basically, in, in your work as um, a drummer for uh, it's Damon Familiar. Demon. Demon, excuse me. Yes. Shame yes. on me. No, Demon, right. So how, how, much of, how much of your time does that take up? Is that sort of like, well, when you're, because I know you're also teaching drumming. Yes, uh, yes. That, uh, how much, how much time does the band take up? Uh, we take, you know, we practice like once or twice a week and we try to get out and play at least a show or two a month, you know. So, uh, so it takes up a great, you know, we've released two albums now and we're, it, we're writing for the third, you know, we're doing that. Fantastic. So, uh, for the listeners out there who think, I want to hear something that, that Wendy does. So how can they get hold of those albums? Oh, on iTunes. Definitely there are two of them. One is called Dawn of the Albatross, and the other one is called Brontosaurus Rex. Right. So, so, so you're, you're too modern to do it the old-fashioned way of a CD? Or, or... Oh, yeah. Oh, no. You could totally... You could also order CDs. I mean, we're also on Amazon. You know, you could order it through Amazon. You could order it through a variety of things. But if you want it in your hot little hands right now, you can totally just download it through iTunes. And we also sell download cards at shows, which is very popular. Excellent. So, yes, yes. But, uh, but uh, for our Halloween show last year, we uh, we went as Cheap Trick, and we this entire we performed this entire album we're going to talk about tonight. So I did not know that. That's that's very interesting. So tell me, <laughs> did you did you get dressed up? Did you put a mustache on, dress in a lawyer's suit, and smoke a cigarette the whole way through? <laughs> no, I just wore bunny ears. <laughs> little nice little in joke. I wonder if yeah, any- but. but- Pablo, our lead singer, like he went all out, like dressing up like Rick Nielsen. It was pretty fabulous. Well, I, I 
did want at some stage to actually talk about the dynamics of the group and the cover, and we will get to that in time. So I should make mention of the two albums that we'll be covering today. We're going to be talking first about Cheap Tricks' album In Colour from 1977-78. I should have done my homework, but never mind. I'm just here to talk about (laughs) what I think about it, not, not to get all academic on your ass. And then we'll be talking about a great band from Melbourne, not really well known outside of Australia, and in fact not really well known enough inside Australia, more's the pity, uh, but they put out five really great albums in their time together. I'm talking about the Ice Cream Hands, led by one Charles Jenkins. Used to go by the name of Chuck Jenkins, also Chuck Scat. Uh, I don't know, maybe he didn't like that because it was too scatological. Uh, but <laughs> nowadays he goes, he, he likes, he prefers to be called Charles Jenkins, uh, as he leads his band Charles Jenkins and the Zhivagos, uh, and a series of fine albums he's put out with them too. But we're going to talk about the Ice Cream Hands, his, uh, previous band, and their album number three called Sweeter Than the Radio. And I'm exceptionally looking forward to, uh, what you have to say about that album, Wendy, because, well, you know, uh, you not having been living in this part of the world, wouldn't have right, I'd never heard it. of them. I'd never heard of them. Well, exactly. A lot of people haven't, but... I was but very they, happy to hear something new. Yeah, well, they were, as I said, a, a great beloved band of mine and of uh, anyone here who had heard them. So um, I'll be looking forward to your thoughts. We'll be getting to that in a little while. Also, as per usual, uh, Eric Reanimator, uh, a.k.a. Eric Peterson, will be uh, coming along with his segment, uh, an album that I love, and he'll be talking... Because it's a power pop episode, he'll be talking about uh, an album by the Goo Goo Dolls from 1993. <laughs> yep, super, Superstar Car Wash. And, so uh, love that. He, he, he said, I'm here to defend that album. So uh, <laughs> so good on you, Eric. Um, you stand up for it. Um, and it'll be interesting to hear what he has to say about that yeah. uh, album. That'll be a little bit later on in the show. Uh, and another little special thing that I have uh, as planned as part of this show... I'd managed to get an interview with Charles Jenkins of uh, the Ice Cream Hands. <coughs> I've got a cold. Do I sound like Barry White? <laughs> You're, you always sound sexy. Oh, no, no thank you, man. Yeah, <laughs> just call me a baby. I'm not doing well. I think I might edit that bit out. Um, anyway, yeah, I had an interview with Charles Jenkins of the Ice Cream Hands. To well, The original intention was to get his recollection about the recording of Sweeter Than the Radio. We went on a whole bunch of tangents. We spent some time, obviously, talking about that, but we talked about a whole bunch of things in related in relation to his career, and I really thought we had a great conversation. And now, yes. I'll be putting that special out as a separate bonus episode, but I will be including a small portion of that interview with this proper episode of Love That Up, just so you get a little bit of a taste as to... Uh, what Chuck is like and his experiences on recording Sweeter Than the Radio. But if you want to hear the full interview, and I certainly hope that you do, then just look on the Love That Old page to download it or get it from iTunes. I'll give you the details at the end of the show. All right, we're going to go to a uh, quick break so I can get a glass of water and not cough all over the place. <laughs> that, that would be extremely impolite on my part. And uh, Wendy and I will be back in uh, a Yay! few minutes to talk about uh, In Colour. By oh, Jim. yeah. Oh, yeah. Pride of Rockford. All right, you're listening to Love That Album with Wendy and Morris. We'll be back shortly. Hey, this is the ghost of the King of Comics, Jack Kirby. When I'm not haunting Stan Lee, I'm listening to my favorite comic book podcast, Double Page Spread. Each week, Wendy Freeman talks to creators like Cullen Bunn, Mark Wade, Evan Dorkin, and more. She is one cool dame who knows a lot about comics. So when I'm at my drawn board in heaven cranking out fourth world pages, I'm listening to Double Page Spread. Available on iTunes, Libsyn, and the Stitcher Network.
Hey, we're back from break. Wendy over in Chicago. Morris here in he? Melbourne. Yes, it is 5 a.m. here. Good lord, you are dedicated. I hear rumour that the gentlemen, the good gentlemen, do this <laughs> on a weekly basis. Get up at 5 o'clock and they eat their cereal and... Uh, it's true, and I don't even have a I don't even have a coffee maker, so I'm just drinking water. Yes. And I was at a party until midnight, so you know. This is super dedication to, uh, to your craft. <laughs> that is it. You're, you are you are the go-to girl. Any time I need a show, show recorded at 5 a.m. American time, you're my go-to girl. <laughs> Which I hope is not often. <laughs> no, no. Well, well. Anyway, what are we here? We're doing love that album. We're going to be talking about cheap trick. Uh, in, in specific, their album In Colour. Now, I've got a confession to make. Yes, sir. Back in the day, because I'm old enough to say back in the day, I wasn't really on the cheap trick wagon, you know, like when they were you know, pretty you know, massively popular during you know, the, the popular heyday, the, you know, when In Colour and Dream Police and... Uh, and, you know, those albums were originally out. But, of course, like anyone else of my age who had an ear cocked to Top 40 Radio, I had heard and dug all the big singles, you know, I Want You To Want Me and Dream Police and Surrender, um, and I couldn't stand songs like The Flame and, and, their oh, cover, no. and their cover version of Don't Be Cruel. Oh, I did like <laughs> if, I did like If You Want My Love. Um, so, yes, yeah, that, I love If You Want My Love. I think that's a great song. It is a great song, but took until maybe just a few years ago before these albums before I went back to those early albums and realized wow there's something there's something in these albums why did I not pick it up at the time um, well mm-hmm. I mean I probably have an answer to that but I would confess to like you know listening to all Billy Joel albums back to oh dear I've just gone <laughs> and done it um, uh, so I, I want to know um, what are your early memories when you first listening to uh, Cheap Trick? Uh, well, definitely, um, you know, like you said, like the flame and, and stuff like that. But, but like, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and it wasn't until I moved to Chicago, and people were like, are you, you know, it's it's it, in Chicago because they're from Rockford because they're from so close, like they're really part of the culture here, you know, and they they perform at like our our Taste of Chicago, which is like you know like our big state fair type thing, you know, they they play like those things, and they there's been talk for a long time where they want to have a museum here, and you know, like Cheap Trick really are just like the the working class, uh, you know, rockers from Illinois. So hang on, so, you're saying they want to have a museum dedicated to Cheap Trick? Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, and they're wow. talking about, like, Rick Nielsen wants to build it, and he wants it to be a recording studio, and he wants it to be, like, a complex, so I'm like, you know, good for them, but, but yeah, like, moving here, and my guitarist, Pablo, is a huge fan, and my bass player, Brent, bought a 12-string bass, like Tom Peterson. <laughs> yeah, he actually bought one of those. it's so, it's so heavy, it's so heavy, that the headstock, because of all of the, you know, all the, the nuts up at the top of the headstock, yep. that it has to be weighed down. It has to be weighted at the back so he can hold it up. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how he plays it. So, uh, so does he, does he um, ever use it in your group? Does he yes. ever use it? Oh, yeah. familiar? He, 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 he does. See, the but most... He uses it live, but like, we haven't had it on album yet, but he uses it live. <laughs> wow. See, the most I think I'd ever seen <clears throat> might have been... Um, maybe like an eight-string bass or something like that. Uh, it, it wasn't uh, Graham maybe, but for a brief time, Joe Jackson had a different player, I think a bass player on the, when he was on the Big World Tour. Uh, I think it was a guy, Ricky, I don't remember the surname, but it was it, it, this guy came out with um, with Joe Jackson to Australia, and I think it might even be like on the uh, on one of the DVDs uh, that, that he has out, and I'm pretty sure he's playing an eight-string bass in that, and I thought that was pretty radical for the time. But 12-string yeah. It's insanity. The most, the most recognizable twelve-string bass song is uh, like the intro to Jeremy by Pearl Jam. Yep. Yeah, that's that's a twelve-string bass. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I wonder what if if it survived today. I wonder what Jaco Pastorius would have had to say about that. He would have thought, you know what? I can do everything. <laughs> I can do more on a four-string bass than you can on an eight. <laughs> I, I remember. Um, but I, I remember... bet he'd have dug it. I bet he'd totally dug it. Oh, look, you know what? I remember seeing. Um, I think I might have. I can't. Well, yeah, I might have talked myself into this. I don't remember if I saw any in Pace Drum Clinic, or if I read about it in. in an, no, I'm pretty sure I saw because he 
Deep Purple came to Australia in 1984 for the Perfect Strangers tour. And mm-hmm. um, I'm pretty sure I saw Ian Pace on a clinic. And he said, look, you know what? I'm not going to talk technical turkey. You know, I've got a simple kit. I don't have a double bass drum. I don't have a double pedal. But I can do more on this one pedal than you guys can do on double on double bass. So don't try and you know get all smart ass on me or something. Some words to that effect. But so once again, that is the key to power pop itself. Is that you know? I mean, we're not prog rock. We're not you know like it's true. It's about like doing a lot with very very minimal. But but for some reason, cheap trick are the exception. The the weird virtuoso exception to everything, you know. And and yet here's the here's the weird thing about it. In a band like them, which uh, you know the guitar is so prominent because it's. I mean, a, a lot of power pop stuff. Um, I mean, yeah, okay, it's often heavily guitar-based, but often, you know, they round things out with maybe, uh, you know, some piano or some, some acoustic, as we'll speak about later on in the Ice Cream Hands. But for, for a, a band, you know, with, with a player like Rick Nielsen, who's, you know, it, it's very guitar-oriented, and yet, like on this album, In Colour, there's almost next to nothing in the way of guitar solos. That is that is peculiar. Because <laughs> I mean, yeah. when you think about Dream Police, like Dream Police has that whole crazy like operatic off the rails part to it, you know? Right. Like a lot. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you right. mentioned operatic, and, and so the first thing I'm thinking of, Bohemian Rhapsody. But yes, uh, Dream Police, like the song, is very much very grandiose in um, mm-hmm. in that Queen sort of way. But uh, but yeah, all, all you know, consummate musicians. But they uh, this is this is a term I use a lot on this show. They're serving the song. Yes, that's, yes. That's that's yeah. something I have ultimately have a whole lot of respect for. And once again, that is the key to power pop, in my opinion, is that it is about the craft of the song, rather. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, look, in in reading up about the album in color, uh, there appears to be a very prevalent view between fans and even the band itself about its recording. See, I didn't realize until very recently that there was a second version of the album. Yes, out. the Albini version. I love the Albini version. Steve Steve Albini. Now, this album never got an official release, but, you know, there are the so-called different channels that you, that you, can, <laughs> that you can find it on. And I managed to track myself down uh, a copy of this album for educational purposes. Um, yes. Now, generally, the... Uh, so, so the original album was produced by a fellow called uh, Tom Werman, and the band had long said that they weren't crazy about his production on the album, that it took some of the balls out of it. Their, their first album, uh, their first self-titled album. Um, Which I feel that album has a lot of balls. It, it, do, it does have a lot of balls. It's a, it's a very hard rockin' album. And, you know, Tom Werman had come out and said, I want to soften it up a bit. I want to make it more poppy, more melodic. And he, he took out some of that rough edge. But in my opinion, what he came up with was something that sounds sweet. And that's, the for me, the essence of power pop is, you know, something that does have that guitar sound but does still sound sweet. And when I went to listen to the Steve Albini version, I found... Uh, and we'll get into specific song examples, but I found l- some of the subtle nuance lacking. And I mean, ultimately, I guess it comes down to subjective taste, which which way you prefer it. There's no right or wrong, and certainly if the band prefers the Albini version, then you know the call the call should be theirs. But I have a lot of affection for the original version of the album, precisely because of that um, that softened touch, and maybe I'm that sort of wimpy pop fan that you know it doesn't have the cojones to uh 
to sort of appreciate what you know Steve Albini actually came up with. I'm, I'm not saying I don't like that version. I can see a lot of merit. In fact, probably I'd say like on the songs uh, like "Hello There." Songs, songs like that warrant that Albini touch. And I know that we sort of had this discussion on Facebook, Wendy, with regards to I Want You To Want Me. And I, I think every review I read said, a great album, but that wimpy version of I Want You To Want Me works oh, better so on Ad Budokan. Fascinating. Of course, this is a whole conversation unto itself. But, but like, um, like the fact that Imbudicon is is one of those, uh, you know, like one of the top live albums ever of all time, and that sort of evolution of why do we love "I Want You to Want Me" on the live version versus like whereas it falls so flat on this, you know, it's it's very interesting about um, uh, you know, like on on this, it's a cheery, it's it's a good little song, but like that Budokan version. Is is what really cemented it in such the pop lexicon, you know? Look, I, it's just I guess for me it depends on how how you listen to it. So with with the in color version, the character who's you know singing, I want you to want me. He, he sounds a bit like a, a a naive, hopeful, very wistful sort of character. And whereas um, whereas in, in the uh, Budokan version or the the uh, Steve Albini version, we're, we're getting something more demanding I want you to want me which is how he introduces it on the, on the Budokan version and it's, it's I don't know there's there's something uh, Beatlesque and I, I've got a couple of things to say about the, the Beatlesque connections or alleged Beatlesque connections later on but for me that the, the little sort of woo later on in the song yeah. and the, and the honky tonk piano it just it's what makes it work it sounds it makes it sound sweet and yeah it, it, especially it's a good contrast because we've opened up with a couple of really ballsy songs on the album uh, oh, yeah. drowned gets fairly psychedelic and by the time we get to I want you to want me it's it's a it's a good thing you know you get a little bit of uh, contrast rather than every song being so hard rocking and that I think is you know, that versatility is what makes this album work. But anyway, I look, I, I, I think it's, I think that's a, probably um, an argument I'm destined to lose because it seems like most people seem to prefer that uh, that hard rocking version. And oh well, fair enough. I'll just sit in my corner and, and, and <laughs> whimp, wimpily listen to my wimpy version of "I Want You to Want." Eric Peterson, not Eric, yeah, Eric Peterson with his Goo Goo Dolls. You guys can sit yeah. <laughs> in the top of the corner. <laughs> Eric, if, if, you're, if you're listening to this, which version do you prefer? I, I'd be interested to hear. Yes. But yeah, so, so In Color starts with one of the greatest openers, one of the greatest song openers of all time, in my opinion. I feel like Hello There is such a fantastic, like, punch in the face. 
It is, and it's um, it, well. I mean, I, I was I was going to make an argument that the uh, the Beatles connections between Cheap Trick and uh, well, <laughs> between the Beatles and Cheap Trick, uh, maybe are a little bit uh, overstated, but but certainly uh, this is their Sergeant Pepper. This is their opening. And- They've been going on tour and doing Sgt. Pepper its entirety. Right, I had heard that, and I'm sort of scratching my head thinking, why? But, um... <laughs> it's, it's been done once. But mind you, actually, I, I, I believe from a, a fellow who uh, I used to work with that there was a, um, a there was a group in Australia called The Twilights, and they were led by um, singer Glenn Shorrock, who eventually went on to front the Little River Band. And back in the 60s. Oh, I love Little River Band. Well, Reminisce. Well, <laughs> I, I could see that as your type of song, actually. Um, the, 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 the Twilights, they did, like, because you know, it took months before Sgt. Pepper got a local release here. Like, back in the day, it wasn't like, you know, a band releases it and it's, on, you know, it's available everywhere straight away. It, it took, you know, several months before the album became available locally, but for some reason the Twilights had got hold of a copy of it and were performing it live. Here's the new Beatles up. We will we'll ditch our own stuff. <laughs> and uh, this guy who I work with reckons he went to hear Glenn Shorrock and his dead band perform Sgt. Pepper live. And in that context, 67, I guess it made sense. Cause That's we were... kind of douchey, though, to be doing it before the album comes out. That's so douchey. Well, no, it was, it was, it was, out, like... it was out, it was out in England. Oh, 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 okay. No, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. It wasn't like, hey, we've we've got to hear this. No, we we've got to hear this before Australia's got to hear it. It wasn't. It wasn't. Um, Glenn Shark, if you're listening, Wendy doesn't know what she's talking about. No, no, you're not too shit at all. Sweet, I know it. sweet guy. You know, you, let's let's reminisce. Anyway, yes. where were we? We're talking about one of the great album openers. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Hello There is by far one of the great album openers. And even, like, uh, when, when I play Rock Band on the uh, the Xbox or whatever, like, that is the song that plays during the credits of that game. And it's because it's it just, it's such a great smack-you-in-the-face kind of song. Right. Uh, I, just the other thing that's opening... nice about it, it, it's, it's short and very punchy. It's right straight to the point. Yes, which to me is what Power Pop is about. Right. Well, I, I, I've already said Power Pop is about like eight things, but definitely I think what it's about is is you know short, direct, uh, you know, uh, uh, it grabs you. You know, I, I I love that. I love that. Well, let me ask you this: I always sort of had the feeling that Power Pop, by and large, was about music being played in small rooms. Cheap Trick largely sounds like it belongs in stadiums. That's and, true. It's the opposite. And, right, because Big Star, you would never hear Big Star in a stadium. You can't imagine hearing those songs in a stadium, but this right. is definitely a stadium. It yeah, because it, 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 yeah, when you put it in that context of the late 70s, like, they're up against you know, Queen, and they're up against, like, like all of those other sort of, you know, sticks or those other grandiose sort of uh, stadium rock, arena rockers of that time. Now, sorry, okay, one thing I was going to say, um, we, I just want to come back to this whole comparison between the Albini version and the Wormen <laughs> version of the album before we sort of go a little bit more to the songs themselves. Now, and as I said, I, I think I prefer hearing the original version because you get some of the nuance, like, uh, you know, some of the songs you can actually hear individual strings being strums you get that what i think is really that power pop sound rather than everything sounds like it's going through a, a guitar phaser effects pedal or something like that uh, the the intro on uh, come on come on where you can actually hear individual strings no distortion that sort of that's what defines it for me as a as a pop song rather than as a, a stadium rock song <laughs> Like that sound like they belong in a small room, 
but hello there. That's what, once again, I, I love that that versatility of of the album. You get you get the the anthemic uh, hello there, and then you get so good to see you at the other oh. end of the album, which is a lot more personal. And- them after this is only their second album yes and, and so good to see you sounds like the weary sound of a musician who's been on the road way <laughs> too long and he's saying you know don't cut me out of your life um, you know it, it's really good to see you and please let me stay it, it just sounds like he's you know, tired of life on the road and, and but we know before you know, before we get to turn around the album to side one again for all of you who have the vinyl <laughs> That, um, it's so good to see you. It's such like an uplifting, it you is. know. Yeah, I love that. And and you know, like Robin Zander, like his voice in that, like he hits all those high notes. Like yeah, I, I love that song. I mentioned versatility and his voice over the course of the album. He does different things. So you you got like on Hello There, he can rip a song to shreds along with you know any of the high screamers of the era. And yeah. so good to see you. He, he's got this level of delicacy which is it's just gorgeous mm-hmm. and and big eyes is such a such a dirty pounder of a song just the second it's the second track and it comes in and it's so like uh, you know I feel like that song's really gritty too uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the cover artwork this is not something that we do uh, that I do terribly often on the program but I definitely feel that it's worth speaking about here especially like if you have you know, the vinyl because the back artwork is just as relevant as the front work, front artwork. In fact, well, they work together as a whole. And it says something about what I see is the egalitarian nature of the band. You look at other bands of the same period, like Kiss, and they've all got all this glam makeup and they're all four rocking parts of this band. This is the image that they want to present. Or you might look at you know, T-Rex or, you know, most bands, they present a consistent image. Right, right. This is so hilarious. <laughs> And here it is. You've got you got uh, Robin Zander and Tom Peterson, who are the glamour boys of the band. Right. They're so pretty. They they are they are pretty boys. They are pretty boys. And on the back and in the front, they're they're straddling over these motorbikes, and they look the, you know, the epitome of cool. And on the back, what have you got? You've got Rick Nielsen and Bunny Carlos. You've got like a you know a, a geek. And a drunken lawyer who's just arrived late for happy hour. Right. That's true. You know, That's what they look like. You know, if that, if Bunny Carlos almost looks like he would have fitted in uh, to the Norm Peterson role in Cheers. Yeah, exactly. Totally. So that mustache, those glasses, like he's always smoking. He's so but, uncool. He's but, so but, uncool. The tie that's loosened down. And, but what I love about that cover, and also the, I think the similar sort of thing with Heaven Tonight, the album that came out after it, they, they make this contrast between the two guys on the front, the two guys on the back, but they're all part of the one gang, you know? It's, it's, but it's, it's also so amazing, because whenever you think of the visual aspect of Cheap Trick, you think of, like, the checkerboard, you think of, like, that, and that's all Rick, you know? Right. It's like, Robin's just generically pretty, you know? 
He's not the personality. Rick is the personality. So he's he's actually the Roger Daltrey, but you know Pete Townsend is the real guy who you uh, focus on. Well, no, Keith is the real guy in that thing. Well, yeah, let's, true. let's see. Yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love. I, I don't just to stray for a second. I don't know if this story. I think this story is probably apocryphal, but I like it anyway. Hearing hearing some story about how Mick Jagger had once made some comment about you know his drummer. And Charlie Watts sort of got on his tie and suit and went down to Mick's hotel room and punched him in the face and said, "You're my fucking singer. I'm not your fucking drummer." And <laughs> you never hear that Charlie having balls. Whoa! <laughs> I, I, I love him, but, but you know, really, what thinking music fan doesn't? <laughs> exactly. So anyway, so yes, oh, that's that's what I love about the contrast of this cover. The, these guys, they're four guys in a gang, and you know, it, it doesn't matter. I, I mean, you know, they're 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 using humour here, and you know, they're not the first band to use humour as uh, you know in their image. I mean, like the band that I think that uses humour the best, or at least the best for me, is uh, the band out of San Francisco, the Tubes. But oh, yeah. they do, but they do it in a very theatrical sort of way. You're looking at the cover and of this, and you already get the joke. You don't necessarily get that from a Tubes album cover, but here you do. You see this, and it's funny. And then you turn on the record, and these four guys—they're working towards the same purpose. It's just like you know, you're thinking if you know when you're in school, if these four guys were in school, and they all you know the cool guys, the good-looking guys, and the and the not so good-looking guys, but they all find that common purpose, and that's that's what I love about this image. That's true, yeah. So, your other favorite songs on the album, Wendy? Oh, gosh. The whole album. There's only, like, one song that I find to be iffy, you know? But, but I mean, I think, like, Southern Girls is also such a different contrast from the rest of the album. on come on i think it's so fantastic but yeah like downed has like those weird sort of like uh, uh yeah like you said almost psychedelic like downed has a lot of different moods to it that right. i love so much Just to get my thoughts up for it again, and Southern—I mean, I know they were you know, contemporary, so I wouldn't say like they was influenced. But I thought, my gosh, Southern Girls would make a great Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers song, circa Damn the Torpedoes. It really sounds Although like I just, Tom Petty's song. I, I literally just read like this morning when I was looking at the album. Uh, you know what Southern Girls is about? It's not about girls from Southern, it's not about girls from, like, Georgia, it's about Southern Canadian girls. Oh, okay. Yeah. There you <laughs> go, see yeah. I... girls is too long. Well, there's a, there you go, there's another thing, because, like, normally a big part of my focus on this show is mm -hmm. about the lyrics of the songs. I like to read it to the lyrics, and I don't feel so tempted to do that. I don't 
mean to sort of sell them short or anything like that, but for me, yeah. this album is more about the music and more about the sound rather than mm-hmm. any lyrical content, you know, with, with you know, a couple of songs accepted. But, um, wow, no, I'm I, I really hadn't really even picked up on that. I'm generally very, very bad about translating lyrics. I'm very, very bad. I don't understand what anything's about, I guess. No, I just assume everything's about girls or, you know... Girls are drugs and money. That's what I assume every song is about. Well, that's that's what they all are. You know, surely Bohemian <laughs> Rhapsody was about girls and drugs and money, wasn't it? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, What's your favorite track on the album? Doubt really yeah. does have a strong effect on me. I love that psychedelic sound. We've already mm-hmm. discussed um, I Want You To Want Me. Now, I'd be interested to know whether the song that you reckon is a bit iffy is the same song that I reckon is a bit iffy. I reckon it's your all talk. Yeah, yep, yep, that's exactly it. Like, whenever it came to band practice, I'd be like, oh, you're all talk. But then the more I played it, the more, like, we, we dove into it. I was like, that's a good song, too. I can't deny it. But yeah, you're all talk to me. It's the weak, the weak part of the album. It just it, it's, it's a riff that, you know, it sounds like they sort of developed it in the studio, but they forgot to develop it into a song. Even a great riff has to have a great song built around it. It just sounds... Sounds like you know, they came up with this riff, and uh, Bunny Carlos might have been listening to Heart of Glass and thought, "Hey, we can do a disco song too." Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, that that's that's a skip. That's a skip track for me. But really, nine nine out of ten songs, mm-hmm. nine out of ten really great songs still make for. Yeah. I mean, Clock Strikes Ten is also a big like burner of a song. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> We should probably sort of like make a list of how many pop songs actually make use of that Big Ben sound. I'm sure if I thought about it, but I know there are some more, but I can't think offhand, but I'm I'm sure there's got to be more. Yeah, yeah, I know there's more. There's got to be more. I'll tell you another song that I I really love them all, but another one that I sort of want to draw attention to uh, late in the album. And this is a song that reminds me of a film that we only discussed very recently. Come On, Come On sounds like it would have worked very well by a group called the Oneeders. Tell me, <laughs> tell me, what do you reckon? Does that song sound to you like it would have worked in that thing you do? It, it just absolutely, does to absolutely, because it's 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 big and it's bright and it's cheer. I think I think it totally would. And also, I mean, once again, you can hear that influence, like in in Schlesinger, like in in Fountains of Wayne. You can hear that yep. sort of. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's yeah. just, it, it's so pop, and it's so, like, I like songs, I like songs that tell me to do something. <laughs> I like songs that are, like, a statement. <laughs> do, do tell. What, what, what's, what sort of things do you like them to tell you to do? Well, you know, like, like get up off your feet, or, you know, like, I like songs that... You know, that, that sort of like have like a, you know, it's like, it's like, come on, come on. It's very, very like, it's rousing. I like that sort of like rousing. Oh, as a, as, sorry, I was worried there that you, you don't like, I was worried you were going to say you like songs that tell you to go, go burn down Parliament, <laughs> Wendy. <laughs> I like, I like all those, uh, you know, those death metal songs that tell me go burn down churches. Yeah. If they had a hook, I totally would. If they had a hook, go burn down the church, like, you know, in three chords, I, I'd be there. <laughs> So it's got to have a melody. Yeah, it's got to have a really, really good. It's got to have like, like dense harmonies. It's got to have like, you know, some jangly guitar. Tell me to burn down a church. I'm good with that. I don't think that uh, the birds ever sort of got round to doing a song like that. But, you know, <laughs> too busy singing about hickory wind and wanting to be a rock and roll star without sort of you know getting the kids to take action. But um, oh well, that's the '60s for you. No, but but no, come on, come on, come on. I, I can. It's not just that I can hear you know the wonders. 
doing that mm-hmm. song, but I, I keep getting this picture in my head of Liv Tyler dancing to it, which I, I've got to say is not an altogether unpleasant mental image, you know, so it's just something about that song, you know, that yeah, 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 yeah. It's right, just, it's, that, it's that very American bandstand, like you can picture a right. group of singing that, you can picture like teenagers really being into that, yeah. Very much. It's that, that yeah, yeah, catchy chorus. So, yeah, very much American. It's very hand clappy. It's very hand clappy. It's very, it's very sing along. Yeah, that's what, and, and that, that makes, you know, like to me, that's what makes something, like you'd hear that and that's a hit. If I was a producer, if I was a record label guy, I'd hear that. I'd be like, that's the single. Like, I don't know why that song isn't on the radio instead of I Want You to Want Me. You know, <laughs> I think, come on, come on, it should be on the radio every, every hour. I don't know how much. Uh, well, certainly, like Golden Oldies Radio uh, has sort of you know, picked up on some of those deeper album cuts. But I mean, not that I—I I don't tend to listen to much. Uh, so, well, certainly not listening to mainstream radio. So I imagine that you know those deeper album cuts are not listened to or, or not played on uh, the uh, Golden Oldies Radio station. I'm, I'm wondering whether alternative radio here. I mean, I don't know whether college radio over in the states is like. You know, your equivalent of our public access alternative radio, which tends to give more of a voice to uh, underrepresented. Bands. Oh no, no! To me, college like... radio, college radio never touched Cheap Trick. Like in my era, I mean, I grew up in the '90s. You know, like yeah, yeah. No, like they'd been too square. They'd been too mainstream. You know, I feel like college radio would not. There seems there seems to have been like in in uh, recent years a, a bit of a tendency for some of the shows though to look back and maybe give a little bit of a salute to say well you know what those bands that were daggy you know ten years ago we're now going to give a little bit of a salute to so you know they might still have their day you know, or might might yet have their revival but you know not if they're going out and touring doing Sergeant Pepper on the road I think that's a bit of a <laughs> Nah, not a good idea, guys. And the night that they came, the night that they played here and did Sgt. Pepper, I had Mud Honey tickets. I actually went to go see Mud Honey instead. Right. So you did. You didn't get a chance to, you know, throw yourself at Tom Peterson and, and Rick. So, guys, you're. Oh no, you're not gorgeous anymore. No. no. <laughs> oh well. Oh no, you. Oh, you would have. But you would have thrown this. Oh, and Bunny Carlos isn't even playing with the band live anymore, isn't he? Right now, is it still his son? I know that they've had some legal problems. I know that Bonnie was suing the band. Right, I, I had read that. Yeah, so but I know his his son was drumming for them for a while, so I'm not really? sure if it's still his son or not. Yeah. Now, now, would you let Max uh, take over for you in a band? Um, well, here's the thing, you know, because me being a drummer and him being a piano player, um, <laughs> there's there's no conflict of interest, you see. But um, like, but it's so funny. Like Van Halen has like uh, you know Eddie Van Halen's son playing bass, and there's like another couple bands where it's like somebody's kid who, who's who's joined the band. And I was right. wondering, like, well, do they uh, have these kids to take over for them? I, I th- well, look, you know, I know that um, in the E Street band, from time to time, Max Weinberg has had uh, his son Jason Weinberg take his place. But I remember seeing, I think it might have been on YouTube, there was. I'm not sure if it was like filmed as part of a telethon or something, but they had a, a, a drum battle between Max and Jason doing, oh. it might have been do, doing Sing, Sing, Sing. And oh, that's awesome. You like to think, you know, that these young, these young whippersnappers, they think that they know everything, but Max whipped Jason's ass. I can tell you that. <laughs> look it up on, look it up on YouTube. Max versus Jason drum battle. And, you know, there's, there's no context. There's no context. <laughs> You know, get get back to your room Those and start. kids in a place. You know, pick, pick up that guitar, son. You might have a future with it, but you know, don't don't try to get my job with the boss. You know, he knows. He knows he provides in that rhythm. That's so funny. Oh, but yeah, it it seems like it's a very very strange trend of these middle aged rockers to have their kids join the band. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's it's. I'll, I'll tell you something off air about that. Um, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, all right. So, look, any anything else that you want to uh, specifically say about uh, uh, Cheap Trick and in color in general? Or nope, I just think it's a close to perfect album. It is. <laughs> it is a great, great album. If you um, are listening out there and you haven't caught hold of this, it really is great pop perfection. It's, it's it's not just pop. It is rock. And look, you know, if you want to track down the Steve Albini version, have a debate, have an argument. I think I might be one of the few people out there who prefers the original version, but the the bottom line is these songs are great, no matter which way you paint them. And even if there's, even if uh, you know, even if you think the first version is wimpy or the second version, there's too much distortion on the guitars. But 
underneath a great song is a great song, and um, this album is full of them. And Oh Caroline really well. is such a fantastic like song of longing. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 Yeah, and um, uh, quite a different song of uh, using the name Caroline because I'm, I, I always tend to think of um, Caroline Sweet. No from the from the Beach Boys from Pet Sounds, but that's a song about you know weariness about you know, a, a girl who grew up and is not the same nice girl that she used to be. Yes, the Aussie is Sweet Caroline by Neil Diamond. <gasps> there you go. Oh, Car- Caroline's a real pop name, isn't it? <laughs> I might I don't it know to- any Carolines, though, so you know. Oh, wow. No, I might have to go to Ben Eisen and say, you know, do your uh, all-time top ten songs about Caroline. I wonder if there are any more. There's bound to be. <laughs> I don't think there's name. ten. I highly doubt there's ten. So you think we've gone and listed all three existing ones. There's going to be something. Yeah. Other. All right, what we're going to do now is we're going to take a break. We're going to go listen to uh, Eric Peterson, a.k.a. Eric Reanimator, talk about the Goo Goo Dolls and their 1993 album Superstar Car Wash. Glad you could join myself and Wendy over in Chicago. We'll be back shortly, but uh, first, here's Eric. Take it away, Eric, the orchestra leader. I want two, I want two, three, four. Now it's time for an album I love with Eric Reanimator. Undoubtedly, Morris has told you, I am here to defend the Goo Goo Dolls. Well, not the Goo Goo Dolls in total, but specifically their 1993 album, Superstar Car Wash. When Morris told me that the subject of this episode was going to be Cheap Trick and the Ice Cream Hands, I started thinking about what other power pop bands I could talk about. What power pop records are there out there that I love? And I came to the conclusion that so often power pop or at least the best power pop is about the single and not necessarily about the album. The exception, of course, being Cheap Trick, and as they are being covered on this episode, I didn't feel like talking about another one of their albums. After thinking about things for a couple days, I did come to the conclusion that maybe I should talk about a 90s power pop record, and I kicked around a couple, uh, Material Issue, Jellyfish, and to a lesser extent, The Posies and The Fresh Young Fellows, but to be honest, with the exception of Jellyfish, I really haven't listened to records by those bands enough to say that they're an album that I love. However, the Goo Goo Dolls' Superstar Car Wash is genuinely an album that I love. Starting in 1985 in Buffalo, New York, Goo Goo Dolls are pretty much the upstate New York answer to the replacements, and I know that's probably heresy in some people's minds, and I know that the Goo Goo Dolls have been very upfront about the fact that the replacements did heavily inspire them, especially in their early and mid-period. But I do think it's safe to say that, like The Replacements, they started as a noisy punk band that kept on refining their sound and making it more and more commercial. And especially Superstar Car Wash, but to a lesser extent, A Boy Named Goo, hits that sweet spot between being that noisy punk rock and the overplayed pap that they have turned into. So let's check out some of the tunes. Coming down. 
power pop, you obviously hear the jangly guitars and you hear the the melodies in there, and then the vocals aren't super poppy, but they are accessible enough. It is cheap trick by way of 80s college rock. And it's hard to listen now and not pick up on the slide towards middle-of-the-road secretary rock radio that the band was headed on. We Are the Normal was the single that got a lot of attention, so it's no surprise that the song Name off the follow-up album, which was also the more 70s uh, adult-oriented rock track, would become their big hit and actually be kind of the blueprint for the rest of their career. But also, at the same time, I hope that you can hear that there is some more rock and stuff, some more edgy stuff. Maybe not, at the end of the day, the most classic. Maybe a, a B album, if you were going to give it a rating. Still, it's an album that I did discover when it came out, that I did play a lot uh, back in the 90s, and that got me to pick up a boy named Goo on the day that that arrived in stores. Now, I don't blame anybody for uh, wanting a paycheck or having a career, but it seems to me that after a boy named Goo, the Goo Goo Dolls just were chasing those hit singles and not bothering with the rest of the stuff that made them a good band back in the day. And it's too bad, because... When they rocked out, they were as good as any of the other 90s alternative power pop inspired bands. I also hold them up as an example of a band that had a deeper catalog than you might have heard in the mainstream or even the alternative press. While their pre-Superstar Car Wash albums aren't anything special, at least not to me, although maybe I do need to go back and revisit them, definitely Superstar Car Wash and Boy Named Goo are well worth adding to your collection and I'm willing to bet that you can find them in your local discount bin cheap. I guess that's all there is to say. We're going to go out with my favorite song off the album, Lucky Star. This is Eric Reanimator, and I'll catch you all on the flip side. Thanks once again, Eric, for another great segment. And as I said at the start of the show, my apologies for not being able to make available the conversation that Wendy and I had about the Ice Cream Hands album, Sweeter Than the Radio. Um, I made a fuck up, and that's just what happens in the world of podcasting. At least it happens in my world of podcasting. I'm sure that most of the other people who I love and listen to are far more professional than I do, so that's something to learn out there, kiddies, if you're thinking of trying your hand at a podcast. Anyway, Love That Album, episode 56, will be around in a couple of weeks, and it'll be another Shooting the Shit episode, but it'll be a very special one. I mean, they all are, but this will be an end-of-year special. 2013, I'll be gathering together the crew, Michael Persh, John Stirrett, hopefully Jeff Smith this time, Eric Reanimator and Tim Merrill, the six of us, will be going through our favourite albums of 2013. Not the usual boring lists of what albums were released in 2013, but anything that we discovered. They could be older albums, and they could be albums from this year. You never know. Um, we're also encouraging you, the listener, to send us some feedback, either via email, rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au, mp3 or written, either one is fine. Or post something on the Facebook page for Love That Album. Tell us what albums you dug this year. First time listens from previous years or new albums. We'd love the feedback. I get pathetic, I know, when I have to beg for it. But, you know, I'll take it whichever way I can get it. Please send some feedback in. And let us know what your favourite albums of the year were. Anyway, I look forward to your company in a couple of weeks when we have the final episode of 2013 of Love That Album. Don't forget to read some great books, watch some fantastic films, and most importantly, listen to some great music. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Cheers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 